This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 144 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Hakan Tanriverdi is a journalist covering cybersecurity for Germany's public broadcasting network. In our conversation this week, we discuss the challenges of reporting on a highly technical subject area, making your stories accessible to the general public, and having the courage to ask the obvious questions. We'll get his insights on being a good consumer of news, as well as his thoughts on where journalism is headed. Stay with us. I started working after finishing J school uh, at Süddeutsche Zeitung, which you might know as the newspaper that later broke the Panama Papers. I worked online for them, covering mainly digital-based news, meaning uh, platform forms, Facebook, Snapchat, how they do their stuff. And I always had a certain interest in IT security, but that was... Always, I don't have a background in information science, so it was like, sounds interesting, but sounds hard also. Mm. But then at one point I switched and said, whatever, I'm just going to dive in and see uh, where this journey is going to end. And then I kept specializing. And nowadays I mostly write about APT stuff or cybercrime in general. Can you give us some insights on what that learning curve was like? What was it like for you to to get up to speed on a, on that specific topic? I noticed that I kept asking the same questions, right? So when a breach would happen, I would go and ask, oh, how did it happen? How can you be sure that uh, the attackers moved from this point to that point and so on? And I kept asking the same questions over and over again. And doing this for some years, you somewhat start to understand a little bit better how the stuff works. But at the end of the day, it's just so technical. And even if someone will tell you, okay, this is how they did it. And this is, I don't know, they used a routine in the DLL, like DLL hijacking or something like that. I couldn't quite picture it. So at one point, um, this is two years ago or one and a half years ago by now, I said, I'm going to start learning programming. And I went, I attended uh, Columbia. They have a kind of a boot camp thing where I went for four months and I learned a little bit of Python and so on. And since I did that, I flatter myself by thinking I understand it a little bit better, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's really interesting. I mean, do, do, you, do you feel as though you have a better perspective, a more informed uh, insight on things since you took those programming courses? Oh, definitely. It starts with uh, simple things like understanding how a SQL database works, and then you immediately understand why an SQL injection would be something a hacker might try as a first step. Since I do have to work with some kind of APIs and so on, I understand the concept of passive DNS a little bit better. And I can see how you would use it to try to understand uh, the infrastructure a specific group might have used. So in that sense, it did help tremendously for my purposes. 
It's interesting to me because from my own point of view, when I'm interviewing people, I, I always find it helpful to remind myself that if I don't understand something, that uh, that can be okay. Because if I'm asking a question, it's likely that someone out there who's listening or, or reading something that we that I've written has the same question and is looking for the same understanding. I mean, that's precisely the point, and I totally get where you're coming from. And this is some something I also did, right? So because as a journalist, people uh, if you're speaking with highly technical people, they somewhat um, expect you to not understand everything and start with the basics, which is fine. But if you want to do some more in-depth reporting and you can get the guys you're dealing with more often, you can j then just move on to the more technical stuff. And even then I'm going to ask all the time, oh, I can't, un I, I didn't understand that. Could you please mm. repeat what you said and so on? But we are talking about deeper with more insights, uh, if that makes sense. So I do still ask dumb questions. I haven't stopped with that. I totally get where you're coming from there. I, I, I do the same thing. I am curious um, where you think we stand these days in terms of how journalists are interacting with the folks on the technical side of things. Do you think we're doing a good job of explaining what's going on? So I do work for uh, an outlet that is aiming for absolutely mainstream audience. So we're talking about eight o'clock news being watched by millions of people. And if you want to get that spot, um, which we try to do every time we, we release a story, then we absolutely have to try and convey the message as clearly as possible. And since the guy, so our first reader, viewer, listener, whatever, is most likely to ask basic questions. And if we get that reaction, this is something we have to deal with. So we do this two or three times, and then hopefully it'll be understandable enough. I, I don't think that we reach that goal every time, but we try to do it. I mean, it also depends on the stuff you're reporting on. If it's something like fishing, I would think that most people by now have a certain understanding of what this might be because they get some random emails asking for their passwords or so on. If you're talking about lateral movement within um, company networks, I'm not so sure. So at that point, we just would explain it with visuals and stay on that topic until we have the feeling, okay, this might be understandable enough. What sort of advice do you have for those people who are on the technical side of things um, when they're communicating with a journalist? What sort of preparation should they take? I would say never assume is a good rule of thumbs. So even like even if I'm talking with people, I make the observation that uh, the guys I'm talking with, uh, male, female, that they at one point think that I know what they're talking about. But most of the time, I'm somewhat familiar, but don't understand it. And the easiest thing would be to always ask while you're explaining it to me to say, okay, can you still, are you able to follow what I'm saying? Is it, am I going too fast with this? Do you need to have more details and so on? And yeah, this is something 
I've experienced quite often that somebody would explain something to me and how stuff works. And then we, I'd start with something I should have understood, I should have understood like in the very first seconds, but I was too shy or whatever to say that I didn't understand it until I couldn't hide it any longer. So, and then I was like, okay, please, can we go back to step one and start right there from there again? Yeah, I think that's a really important insight. I I think for myself, it it took a little while for me to get over that fear of admitting that I didn't know something and realizing that, uh, no, there's actually strength there to to say to someone, you know, please uh, help me understand better. And most people want to be helpful and they want to help you understand. Definitely. Also, um, sometimes people just need to re-explain something the second time around they have a better understanding of what it is they want to say so it'll it the conversation will open up and people talk more freely and candidly so that's also something that might be worth considering just asking the same question again because it's not easy to get this stuff right so why not try a second time at least that's what i do do you have any particular types of stories that you like to go after? Anything in particular that uh, catches your eye? Um, I try to concentrate on stuff where the technical side meets the geopolitical side of things. Because like, if something happens where somebody finds a zero day and so, and so on, I read the blog post and find it interesting and am amazed by how they did it. But generally speaking, I love to write stories that tell how nation states have moved to digital espionage, if you want. They try to achieve their goals not only by human sources or traditional ways of doing this business, but also by hacking into stuff or by trying to pass on intellectual property and so on. So I'm really, really interested where these two sides meet, um, capable adversaries doing their thing, but for purposes that are more high level, more to the benefit of a nation state. I tend to chase these types of stories. But if it's a data leak or data breach with millions of um, patient data, which is a story we did, then I will do that story also. But generally speaking, more APT stuff. That's what I love doing. Do you feel as though there's any area that's underreported, things that aren't getting the attention they deserve? Honestly, I do think that, I mean, this might be different in the US, at least that's how I see it. But in Germany, I would love to have a more precise discussion about what and how APT attacks really work and why these groups are doing it and for what purposes and what happened after a breach. So most of the time um, with the general uh, stories, what will happen is you will write, this happened at that date. They noticed the breach, uh, I don't know, one year after, uh, one year too late or whatever. But I haven't read a story and I haven't been able to write that story myself where we could pinpoint and say, okay, this happened in, I don't know, 2016. And three years later, four years later, we can say, oh, it was for that purpose. Like the the F-35, I want to say, where, it, where mm. there was a hack and later on you could see, oh, they built a jet that looks like the other jet. So these types of stories I would 
love to see more, but also more details, honestly. Do you find that the media business is evolving itself that's making it harder to play that long game? It seems to me like uh, you know many organizations are you know they're chasing clicks or or after you know viewers right now and so um it's it's harder to uh to have those long-term stories. I definitely would say this is something uh to consider but also at the same time I do have the feeling that more and more people try to understand what is happening on a technical level so you have journalists or people coming into journalism that have a tech background and they know some I don't know, some programming languages and are more adept at what this stuff really means. So I would love to focus on the positive side of things, which is I see more and more journalists really doing the uh, long form reporting in that sense. Where do you suppose we're headed in terms of journalism and covering tech in particular? Do do uh, Do you see many changes on the horizon? Uh, that's a tough question, honestly. I don't have a answer ready top of my head because I can see it going in so many ways. What I do have the feeling is that with, um, so what changed is, but this ch- changed a couple of years ago, is the way people started to look at Facebook. I mean, in the U.S., uh, this is obvious uh, after the election and so on and how platforms were or were not used for disinformation and whatnot. So since that view changed, I have no clear picture of, like I wouldn't see something where I would say, okay, it's going to move in this direction, not at this point at least. Do you have any thoughts on how the consumers of media can do a better job um, with uh, with with their own sort of built-in filters, you know, making sure that um, they're not ending up inside of a bubble to make sure that they're getting a, a variety of viewpoints. So what I would say is one of the most important things is just always to check the source where something came from. So if it's a write-up of an article that's relying on the reporting of another outlet, I would read that story, but also read the primary source because sometimes stuff gets uh, reported not for nefarious reasons, but for various reasons. Uh, There are some mistakes when you're doing the second story and so on. So I would always read the primary source. And if you do that, you can immediately spot if something has sketchy sources or if it's uh, based in facts, so to speak. This is something I would always advise, or I try to do myself. I'm curious if you have any insights on the use of threat intelligence itself. From, from your point of view, the, the work you've done, do you have any uh, thoughts on how organizations are making use of threat intelligence? I can speak to myself with saying that I read, try to read every report that comes out. So if a company publishes a blog post, I try to read it. Um, I used to read it in the sense to get a better understanding of what actually happened. But nowadays I'm trying to look for those IOCs and then go and try to find more information that I can find, say more passive DNS data or maybe some stuff that was uploaded to VirusTotal and so on. This is something 
I try to read uh, and try to do what I've noticed on the company side or what people have complained to me about uh, is that they would call it intelligence that's not actionable so that you, you spend time reading stuff, but you don't have that much time. Though, so the stuff you need read has to be good. And most often they have problems uh, with applying what they read to what it is they're doing in their networks. So it didn't pay off for them in that sense. This is something I hear quite often. Same thing with the false positives in your appliances and so on. I would say these are two things that closely uh, align. Would you say overall, are, are you optimistic about the future when it comes to uh, to these threats and, and the APTs? Or are you pessimistic or, or somewhere <laughs> in the middle? I try to be optimistic, but if you look at, I mean, there's stuff that's happening for sure, um, at least in Germany it is. But also uh, this is, if you look at things in a way that will somebody, will a company be breached? Uh, most of the time the answer is going to be if it is beneficial to the adversary, then yes, because then they'll just have more time and more resources. I don't have a view in the sense whether I'm positive or pessimistic on my outlook on that sense. Our thanks to Hakan Tanriverdi for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.